Alexandra Quink and the Stars Above by Inverarity Read by Sam Gabriel Chapter 7 The Alexandra Committee She told them everything. She wasn't sure when she began how much she would tell them, but once she started talking, it all came out. Maximilian's sacrifice, the deathly regiment, Alexandra's promise to the generous ones. Her friends listened wordlessly, their expressions of curious apprehension slowly turning to shock and horror. She sat down when she was finished, emotionally drained. Now you know. You should have told us before, Anna said. She was crying. What could you have done? Anna sat bolt upright. My father, he's a congressman. Please let me tell him about the Deathly Regiment and... Anna, Alexandra said gently. Your father already knows about the Deathly Regiment. Everyone in the Wizards Congress does. He told me not to tell you. Anna's eyes widened in disbelief. My father, he knows? He said he wants to end it. There are others in the Wizards Congress who do too, but you can't tell him you know, Anna. Anna put a hand over her mouth. Constance took a deep breath. Alexandra, can you teach us your Muffliano spell? Why? Alexandra asked. How else are we going to conspire? Constance asked. We're going to need to keep our skirts in if we're talking about vows and gaieses, Forbearance said. Yeah, and we definitely need secrecy for talking about the Deathly Regiment, David said. Anna removed her hand from her mouth. And while we're figuring out who's trying to kill you, Alexandra gaped at them. Did any of you hear anything I just told you? Every word, said Forbearance. You want to keep acting as hard-headed as always, David said. Stubborn, high-headed mule, Constance said. And just what do you think you can do? Alexandra asked. Forbearance and I have been learning works they don't teach at Charmbridge, Constance said. She and her sister exchanged looks. Wayans can't talk about it, Forbearance said. It's Ozark magic. Wayans ain't even supposed to let on to, to y'all. Foreigners, Alexandra said. Foreigners. Constance nodded and lowered her head. Mysteries is a secret, but maybe Wayans can learn something about Gaius's. What's a Gaius? It's what them generous ones laid on you, Constance said. A sort of oath, Forbearance said. Alexandra shook her head. I have never heard of them. Well, that shows you could use some help with your research, Anna said. If you'd told me what you were really studying last year, all those hours you spent in the library, and you could have taught us some of those badass spells your brother taught you, David said. Tsk, Constance said. Alexandra shook her head. I don't think it's going to be that easy. Weeds didn't say nothing would be easy, Constance said. You've got seven years, right? Anna clasped one of Alexandra's hands in her own. In that time, with all of us working on it, we'll find some way to save you. And hopefully find out who sick those crows on you before that, David said. Alexandra looked at each of them in turn. But, she swallowed, what happened in sixth grade to Anna and then Max and Innocence and Darla? You can't carry everyone's bucket, Alexandra, Constance said softly. You ain't responsible for every calamity, Forbearance said. And maybe if you had let us help earlier, things might have 
Anna stopped as Alexandra winced. Oh, no, Alex, I didn't mean it that way. Alexandra saw Darla's face as she disappeared into the lands beyond, and Maximilian falling, falling into the darkness. She shook her head. I know you didn't, Anna. We decided, Constance said, in the tense silence that followed, that Williams is going to help you. You ain't the only one who can learn arts outside of class. Or read books, Forbearance said, but you got to let us help. We know if you fix it in your head to go off on your lonesome wings can't stop you. Please, Alex, Anna said. It's because we love you. Her face was unbearably earnest. Constance and forbearance nodded. David shifted uncomfortably. He was sitting on the table with his feet on the bench next to Anna, and his hands placed to either side of him on the flat stone tabletop. I ain't saying I love you. Don't get any ideas. Oh, I thought maybe you'd changed your mind about skinny white girls. Alexandra said. David snorted. Not a chance. Constance turned to him. David Washington, I had no idea you despise white girls. I don't, he protested. Skinny white girls doesn't mean you. Constance opened her mouth and put her hands on her hips, and David stammered. No, wait, that's not what I... Alexandra said. Keep digging, dork. She's totally trying to change the subject. David said. Real funny, Alex. Get us talking about anything but you and your hard head. They all turned back to her. Alexandra sighed. All right. She lowered her eyes and whispered, Thank you. Anna beamed, still holding Alexandra's hand. But you guys can't get in trouble because of me, Alexandra said, and no risking danger or expulsion. Right, no problem. David said. We'll just research dark arts and the Confederation's freaking child sacrifice program, but let's not do anything that could get us in trouble. Alexandra pulled her hand out of Anna's grasp. I mean it. So what do we do first? Anna asked. Alexandra scratched her chin. Do you really think there's a way to break a chaos? The Pritchards looked at each other in that way that they did just before they began speaking together. We ain't learned much, that was, Constance said. But Gaius is his powerful magic, Forbearance said. We ain't reckon if a curse could be broke, so can a Gaius. But that kind of magic could take years and years to learn. Alexandra nodded. She was afraid of that. We got seven, Forbearance said. We'd best get started. You're serious, Alexandra said, staring at her. Of course we is. The twins stood up. Wait a minute. David said to Alexandra, "'Aren't you going to teach us that Muffliato spell?' "'I will,' Alexandra said. "'But not tonight. There's someone else I need to talk to.' They went inside. Constance and Forbearance said that they should say goodnight to Innocence, and gave Alexandra and Anna both kisses on the cheek. David folded his arms and smiled at them. "'Good night, David,' they said together, and walked off down the corridor. David watched them leave, then said, well, until the next meeting of the Alexandra Committee, he turned to go. Thanks, David, Alexandra said. No need to hug me or kiss me, he said. She snorted. And please don't get me in any more trouble with C and F. I think you got yourself in trouble. He rolled his eyes and walked away with a dismissive wave. Alexandra and Anna continued slowly toward Delta Delta Capital Hall. Who do you need to talk to? Alexandra asked. Mr. Journey, Alexandra said after a long pause. 
Want come along? After a slightly shorter pause, Anna nodded. The basement of Charmbridge Academy was arranged in a roughly circular fashion beneath the septagonal layout of the upper floors, but since it was underground, it had many side corridors and rooms outside the loop. This meant that it was very easy to get lost, especially since most of it was perpetually dark. There were many stairwells that led down to the basement. Alexandra and Anna descended through one of the smaller ones. Anna shivered a little, but her voice was firm when she asked, "'Aren't we risking getting in trouble if we're caught? Last year even the main basement was off-limits to students.' "'We're not going to do anything,' Alexandra said. "'And we're not going anywhere off-limits like the sub-basements.' Anna shuddered more at that. The secret subterranean levels beneath the main basement were supposedly sealed off permanently now, but they had supposedly been sealed off last year, and Alexandra and Darla had still managed to get down there. Also, Alexandra said, we're going to meet a member of the staff. I'm not sure he's exactly a member of the staff anymore, Anna said. As Alexandra cast a light spell, she noticed Anna's unease. You don't have to come if you don't want to. I'll be fine. So will I. The light of Alexandra's wand gleamed in Anna's eyes before she said, Lumos, and lit her own. I'm not afraid of him. Alexandra smiled, and they walked into the dark basement. Most of the rooms down here were used for storage. Many had no signs on the doors, and most Alexandra had never even peeked into. Lamps always illuminated the largest basement corridor found at the base of the stairwell near the main entrance, where the custodian's office was located. But Alexandra and Anna had descended into an unlit area, and could only see to the end of the stone corridor, the limit of the circle of light cast by their wands. "'Mr. Journey?' Alexandra whispered. She and Anna walked toward one end of the corridor, where there was a small door that said, Lift 3. "'I wonder what Lift 3 means.' Alexandra reached for the door. "'Alex!' Anna squealed. Alexandra heard a pop behind them. She turned around as Anna jumped. A house elf stood there in the corridor, large eyes squinting at them from waist height. "'Mrs. should not be here,' the elf said. "'Both Mrs. knows better.' "'I am,' Alexandra said. "'I'm looking for Mr. Journey. Is he down here?' "'Mr. Journey is always down here.' Like Elsa's, he is not allowed to go anywhere else. Elves aren't allowed to leave the basement? Anna asked. Not when students is here, unless he is performing duties. We keeps out of sight. M turned back to Alexandra. Mr. Journey usually haunts near his office, unless he and Miss Fletcher is quarreling. Why is Mrs. looking for Mr. Journey here in the dark? Don't ghosts usually hang out in the dark? M gave her an odd look. Follow Em and we will find Mr. Journey. Alexandra and Anna followed the elderly house elf. She led them around a bend into the main basement corridor that Alexandra had been avoiding precisely because she might run into Miss Fletcher. I, um, I don't want to talk to Miss Fletcher, Alexandra said. I um, guessed that, Em said. Miss Fletcher is not down here right now. There was a glow near the custodian's office that wasn't caused by the lamps on the wall. Alexandra glanced at Anna. I'm not afraid of him, Anna said. Benedict Journey, Charmbridge Academy's former custodian and groundskeeper and one-time member of the Thorn Circle, floated in the middle of the corridor, arms folded over his chest to hide the bloody wound that was responsible for his demise. The ghost's eyes were no longer twinkling blue, 
but the radicalist warlock's smile was still much as it had been in life. Hello, Starshine, he said. Stop calling me that, Alexandra said. He sighed. I used to call all the girls Starshine. You used to be alive, Alexandra said. Journey's smile faded at her harsh tone. I suppose you hear about what happened this afternoon at the Invisible Bridge. Lilith told me all about it. She already put the rack and thumbscrews to me. She did that? Alexandra said, shocked in spite of herself. Anna put a hand over her mouth. Not literally, the ghost said. But she can be as bad as her sister. On that, Alexandra hid her relief. It is kind of coincidental, someone trying to kill me on the Invisible Bridge just like you did, using the same spell you used against Miss Grimm. The ghost cut her off. Alexandra, do you really believe I'm responsible? Do you think I'd still be here if Lilith thought I was responsible? Alexandra realized she had tipped her wand forward, pointing it at the ghost. Mr. Journey gave no sign that he'd noticed, but M, watching the scene anxiously, had fixed her eyes on the glowing end of the wand. Alexandra lowered it. But the murder of crows, she said, just like the one you summoned. I didn't invent that spell, Alexandra. I learned it while I was on the run. It's well known among the Dark Convention. You were a member of the Dark Convention? Journey slowly turned toward the very quiet house elf. Em, darling, he said. Would you mind leaving us? The elf looked from the ghost to the girls uncertainly. Missus should not be down here without supervision, Alexandra said. We're fine, Em. Dean Grimm wouldn't have left Mr. Journey down here if she didn't think he was trustworthy, right? Very well, Em said. But Missus goes straight back upstairs when they're done talking to Mr. Journey? She tried to sound firm, but her voice came out as more of a plea as she pointed a finger in the direction of the stairs. I promise, Alexandra said. Relieved, the elf disappeared with a pop. Alexandra waited for Mr. Journey to say what he hadn't wanted to in front of M. He was no longer their head custodian, but for years, Charmbridge's elves had obeyed him and been loyal to him. She wondered if they'd felt betrayed by him, too. I was as much a member of the Dark Convention as anyone can be, Mr. Journey said. But I wasn't part of the circles your father was dealing with. The Dark Convention is a movement, a counterculture, as much as it is a secret society. In every territory you'll find warlocks who claim to be part of the Dark Convention. Most of them are crackpots. What were you? Someone on the run. Scared of your father. Scared of the Oror Authority. Scared of the Office of Special Inquisitions. Journey shrugged. You know most of this story already, Star- Alexandra. You know why I tried to kill you. Guilt flickered in his eyes. I thought you forgave me. I did. But I still have questions. I don't know who tried to kill you this time, Alexandra. I really don't. I was nowhere near the Invisible Bridge. I'm not allowed to greet new students anymore. I'm barely even allowed out of the basement. The ghost's tone was mournful. I told Lilith I'd keep an eye out for any unusual activity and tell her if I hear anything. Not that I'm likely to down here in the basement. Lots of things happen down here in the basements. Alexandra paused a moment. Why would the Dark Convention want me dead? I told you, 
The Dark Convention isn't really that organized. But they do gather sometimes. They allied with my father. And they want me dead. How do you know that, Alexandra? I don't, she said. But I think I'm right. Well, I couldn't tell you if you are or not. I broke any ties to them when I came here. You don't hear rumors? You don't have any contacts? Journey laughed bitterly. Who talks to a ghost? Other ghosts? He shook his head. Not here. I wish I could be more helpful, Alexandra. I really do. You know I'd like to make up for... He paused. It was why I went with you last year to... His voice trailed off again. Alexandra wondered how much to believe him. She couldn't think of a reason for him to lie, except that he was always reluctant to admit his guilt. Anna had not spoken a word, but she was paler than Alexandra had ever seen her. We should probably go, Alexandra said. I'll be watching for any suspicious behavior, Journey said. Trust me, there won't be any more fooling around down here in the basements. I can't say Vodika and I are becoming fast friends, but she's a darn sight sharper than Miss Gale was. That's good, I guess. Alexandra paused. You know, there's someone else you've never asked for forgiveness. Since being unforgiven is the reason you're still haunting Charmbridge, right? That's not precisely true, Journey said. But you're right about asking forgiveness. Anna tensed. Anna, Journey said. I am very sorry about what I did. To you and to Alexandra. It was terrible and I hated doing it. I never wanted to hurt either of you. But you did. Anna looked at Alexandra. But Alexandra said nothing. Whatever Anna decided was up to her. Anna turned back to the ghost. Alexandra told me how she forgave you. I think that was really brave of her, and better than you deserve. Yes, he said quietly. I'm not as brave as her. Anna took a deep breath. I still have nightmares about being tied to a tree, you know. And I hate the fact that after everything you did, you're down here in the basements, haunting the place where I live. I'm sorry, Journey said. I hope you are. Anna said. Maybe someday I'll be able to forgive you too, but I can't yet. Journey's glow dimmed. The air became cold again. Alexandra said, Come on, Anna, let's go. They left the ghost floating in the corridor in front of what had once been his office. As they made their way upstairs, Alexandra said, You are too as brave as me. Anna smiled without conviction. You never told me you had nightmares, Alexandra said. I guess sometimes I don't tell my friends everything either. Anna caught Alexandra's arm, then continued walking while holding on to it. Should I have forgiven him? Only if you want to. You don't owe him anything. Anna let out a long breath. When we both stop having nightmares, then maybe. By Monday morning... Anna had stopped looking quite so ill. She had not taken the truth about her father very well. Alexandra worried what would happen when Anna returned home to face Mr. Chu. Around the table at breakfast, the ninth graders compared their schedules. Confederation Citizenship, Advanced Magical Theory 1, and Charms 3, Alexandra said. Then after lunch, Transfiguration 3, Herbology, and Practical Magical Exercise. 
Herbology? David said. Why would you pick Herbology as your alchemy elective? Because my grades weren't high enough for advanced alchemy, and potions would mean being in Mr. Gru's class again. We ain't sorry not to be in Mr. Gru's class no more, Forbearance said. We learn potions and herbs at home, Constance said. I guess the rest of us are in advanced alchemy, Anna said. David grimaced. I'm taking potions. Mr. Gru's a jerk, but I heard you learned some really cool potions in his advanced class. Confederation Citizenship was a required class for all ninth graders, the last required course in their Wizarding Social Studies track, so they were all in that class together. The teacher, Mrs. Middle, was a cheerful, well-intentioned witch whom Alexandra had come to dislike. This wasn't entirely fair, because Mrs. Middle was not mean or even a particularly bad teacher, but her patronizing attitude had annoyed Alexandra as a sixth grader, and knowing what she did now about the Confederation, she didn't want to hear more of Mrs. Middle's opinions about muggles and cultures. "'Begin thinking now about your citizenship projects?' Mrs. Middle told them. "'It's a territory-wide requirement for all students to do something in service to the Confederation during your freshman year. Don't wait until the very end of the semester to give me your plan.' "'Service to the Confederation.' Alexandra thought angrily. How about any of the Deathly Regiment? That would be a great service to the Confederation, though they probably wouldn't see it that way. In Mr. Adams' magical theory class, however, Alexandra actually took notes. What, are you turning into a worm? David asked after the class ended. He and Alexandra were walking down the hallway toward their third-period charms class. The only way I can move from this class to Advanced Magical Theory 2 is to ace it and get a superior spawn score in Magical Theory. Since when do you care so much about grades and spawns? Since I found out I have seven years to live, Alexandra muttered. David's smirk faded. I'm going to need every bit of magic I can learn, Alexandra said in a more normal tone of voice, in class and out. Her father, she was sure, had not been taking regular ninth grade Magical Theory classes at age 14. He nodded. I'll study hard, too. She laughed. Study for yourself. Her laughter died as they entered Mr. Newton's class. The room was quiet, and Mr. Newton, the humorless charms teacher, was already conjuring formulas on the board, so everyone's attention turned to Alexandra and David immediately. Abashed, they moved apart, Alexandra to sit next to Anna and David to sit with Dylan. Following Mr. Newton's class was lunch, and then transfiguration with Mr. Hobbs. Students walking into his classroom stumbled to a halt, then moved more slowly to their desks. Mr. Hobbs's room appeared to have been transformed into a pet store. There were rodents, snakes, birds, and turtles in cages, and even goldfish bowls sitting on shelves all around the periphery. The teacher stood behind his desk, on which sat a fluffy snow-white cat. With his frizzy white hair and oversized glasses, Mr. Hobbs's grin made him look a bit manic. He seemed to be enjoying the students' reactions, and the only other sound as he called roll was the rustling, squeaking, and chirping of the animals. After he marked the last name on his list, he said, "'This year you will perform animate transformations. You've practiced animating inanimate objects before, but until now you've had very little practice transforming living creatures.' He waved his wand, and with pops, poofs, and whooshes of air all around the room, the mice and snakes and birds and turtles became cups, erasers, pincushions, marbles, and floating bits of wood. "'Your first task this semester will be to restore these creatures to their natural shapes,' he said. "'By the time of your midterm, I expect flawless transformations.' 
Everyone looked around at the cages and tanks full of inanimate objects. Anna raised her hand slowly. Miss Chu, asked the teacher. Isn't this kind of... cruel? Anna asked. I don't want to transform turtles and rats and other live animals, said Lydia Ragland. Mr. Hobbs frowned. Miss Chu, what is your wand made of? Willow with a dragon heartstring core, Anna said. There was a touch of pride in her voice. Alexandra knew that Chinese wizards prized dragon heartstring wands above all others. And how do you suppose that heartstring was obtained? Mr. Hobbs asked. Anna looked at the dark wood wand resting beneath her hand on her desk and didn't raise her eyes again. Every year some students want to get out of animate transfigurations by telling me that transforming animals offends their sensibilities, the teacher said. I understand that there are even some vegan students at Chambridge now. Well, there's no such thing as a vegan wand now, is there? Forbearance opened her mouth. Under their table, Alexandra saw Constance's heel connect with her sister's ankle. If you're so concerned about the animals, Mr. Hobbs said, then you'll study hard so as not to make any mistakes. I assure you, properly done, there's no need for the poor creatures to suffer from a mistransfiguration. He picked up the cat on his desk and held it out at arm's length. This is Fafnir, he said. He used to be a dragon. Everyone stared at the cat. From the expressions of the students, most shared Alexandra's skepticism. The cat opened its mouth and produced a high-pitched metallic tea-kettle roar. Wisps of smoke curled around its whiskers. In the stunned silence, the teacher set the cat back down on the desk. It began grooming itself. Perhaps some day I'll tell you how he was transformed, Mr. Hobbs said. Anna looked ill again after they left class. You know I'm terrible at transfiguration, she said. It's always been my worst subject. Don't worry, we'll get you through it, Alexandra said. Have fun in your advanced magical theory class. I've got herbology next. Oh, herbology, said Sonia from behind. I've got that too. I'll come with you. Great, Alexandra said, with a lack of enthusiasm that Sonia didn't seem to notice as they separated from the others. Herbology was usually taught in a classroom on the first floor, but Mrs. Verde, a plump, weathered woman in traditional witch's garb, told them they would be spending most of the first couple of months outside, while it was still warm enough to grow and gather herbs. While they all copied a list of the tools each student was to bring to every class, Sonia confided in Alexandra, I signed up for herbology because it's supposed to be an easy A. I didn't think we'd be kneeling in the dirt. Where do you think the herbs come from? Alexandra asked. Little jars you buy from apothecaries. Before leaving the classroom, Alexandra asked Mrs. Verde about something she had noticed. Why aren't there any boys in this class? The teacher chuckled. Boys usually aren't interested in herbology. They want to bottle glory or discover the Philosopher's Stone. And they think herb magic is for girls. Alexandra thought she wouldn't mind being able to bottle glory. Reading her expression, Mrs. Verde said, Have a little patience, Miss Quick. Potions have their uses but there is more to get out of my class than an easy A. Practical Magical Exercise was the last class of the day. For younger students, it was mandatory and gave them an opportunity to perform magic outside a classroom setting. In PMP and in weekly seminars with a rotating band of teachers, Chambridge students were taught basic magical defense, broom skills, and how to care for familiars, but older students usually only took the class if they were on a sports team or if they were members of the Junior Regimental Officer Corps. 
Alexandra changed into her uniform before going outside to join her fellow mages. This was her third year in the JROC. As a seventh grader, she'd been drafted into the student militia as punishment. She had stayed in it because of her brother. She wasn't sure why she'd signed up again this year, when there were other classes she could take, like astronomy and astrology, or arithmancy, or magizoology. Several JROC members had quit last year because of Alexandra's presence. She was sure there would soon be demands for her removal again. Jordan Klein and Theo Panos, two boys who had made no secret of their disdain for her, muttered darkly. But Junior's Hermano Di Silvio and Charlotte Barker welcomed her back, and Charlotte asked if she was okay. Alexandra's scratches were mostly healed, but she still had a bandage over one ear, making her look rather more martial. A group of sixth graders fidgeted nervously in their not-yet-fitted uniforms as they waited, under the watchful eye of Mage Private William Kilmond. "'Looking forward to piling on the new wands?' Alexandra asked William from behind. He jumped and turned to face her, then came stiffly to attention. "'No, ma'am. I mean, I just hope I can help them, you know, fit in, which private quick, ma'am.' "'William,' she said, indicating the stripe on his sleeve. "'You're the same rank as me.' He looked down at his sleeve, amused. "'Oh, you're right. Uh, I, I mean, Alexandra,' he blushed. "'But I'm sure you'll be promoted soon.' "'Maybe,' she shrugged. "'If Miss Shirtliff isn't still annoyed at me.' Miss Shirtliff's voice rang out. "'Mage Sergeant Major, do you plan to let these wands stand around like gabbling Jarvies all afternoon?' "'Fall in!' cried Mage Sergeant Major Daniel Keedle, and everyone formed up. Which Colonel Shirtliff strode to the front of their formation in her blue-gray Regimental Officer Corps uniform and gleaming black boots. Her scarred face and gunmetal gray hair made her a much scarier figure to the sixth graders than when they saw her in class in regular teacher's clothing. "'Let's see how bad your drills and courtesies are after a summer spent lazy around at home,' Colonel Shirtliff said. "'Made Sergeant Major, I want marching. Them for the returnees' broom drills. Which Corporal Chandra, you'll help instruct the new wands. Mage Private Kilmond, you'll assist.' "'Yes, ma'am.' "'Yes, ma'am,' answered Supriya Chandra, echoed an instant later by a startled William." Alexandra felt slightly disappointed that Miss Shirtliff hadn't chosen her. She had never liked drills, but she was good at them. After two years of practice, the uniform no longer bothered her. She would never love it as her brother had, but something about the Junior Regimental Officer Corps kept bringing her back. She didn't even think it was the memory of Maximilian, entirely. Most of the JROC students were half-bloods, like her and Mage Sergeant Major Keetle, or Muggleborns like William. It had been mostly purebloods, like Adela Eterbide, who'd quit last year. Theo Panos and Jordan Klein notwithstanding, everyone remaining in the JROC seemed to accept Alexandra as one of them. Anna was thrilled when Alexandra suggested nightly study sessions in the library. The second evening they met there, Constance and Forbearance joined them, carrying impressively thick books with intimidating titles like A Defense of Theurgic Principles and Ptolemaic Wizarding Ontology. Wow, Alexandra said. This is what you read for advanced magical theory, too? Nope, the Ozarker girls said together. David strolled up to their table. Hey, sup? Sorry I'm late. Had to change after practice with Cecil and them. Late for what? Alexandra asked. You was practicing for Quidditch tryouts? Constance asked. Yeah, I hope I'll make the team as a regular this year. I've been practicing all summer. You were practicing over the summer? On a broom? Alexandra sat straight up. Do you know how much trouble you'd be in if you got caught? My dad's team was a big indoor training facility. He let me in when it was empty. I had to do it real early or real late, though. Alexandra tried to hide her envy. What are you doing here? David sat down next to Constance. 
What do you think? He gestured at Alexandra, making a simulated wand motion with his hand. Go on, do that Muffliato thing. Everyone waited expectantly. This is the second official meeting of the Alexandra Committee, Anna said. Okay, you have to stop calling it that, Alexandra said. You started it. Muffliato, Alexandra said, filling the area with a soft buzzing. She put away her wand. I didn't think you guys were serious. What? Constance gave her a reproving look. Was everything you told us serious? Well, yes, but we have to decide what to research, Anna said, unrolling a parchment. She considered it. Actually, it might be a bad idea to write stuff down. Gonna be hard to research without writing anything down, David said. Alex, is there a spell like Muffliato for writing? Forbearance asked. If there is, I don't know it. Yes, you do. Excited, Anna wrote the Deathly Regiment on the parchment with her quill. Anna! Alexandra looked around quickly, but no one else was near their table. Anna took out her wand. We all learned the editing ink charm in sixth grade. She cast a spell, and the word she'd written transformed into the Alexandra Committee. Ha ha, Alexandra said, but once you edit something, what you wrote before is gone. Her voice trailed off. Anna smiled at her. You remember it, don't you? Alexandra nodded. She held her wand over the parchment. You must win your gen. The ink squirmed and wriggled across the parchment, and reverted to what Anna had originally written. Before anyone could read it, Alexandra muttered and pressed the tip of her wand into the word's deathly regiment. Wisps of smoke curled around her wand as the parchment blackened. Very dramatic, David said. But what was that Chinese? An unediting spell, Alexandra said. He grinned. Cool, two new spells. I hope you're better at pronouncing Chinese than Alex is, Anna said. That'll be our first task, then, Constance said. Alex, dear, you need to teach us Muffliato. Then Anna can teach us Wumo Shenuzen, Anna winced. For the rest of the week, they met in the library each evening. Since there wasn't much homework in the first week of class, they were able to spend most of the time practicing. Muffliato was not a particularly difficult spell. Maximilian had taught it to Alexandra in a couple of days. Anna was the first to cast it successfully, followed by Forbearance, who did her best to hide her satisfaction at learning the spell before Constance did. By Thursday evening, only David had not yet mastered it. I guess the unediting ink spell will wait until next week, Alexandra said, twirling her wand and looking around. This early in the semester, the library was sparsely occupied. We should talk about what to study, though, Anna said. You realize we're not going to find some spell that fixes everything, right? Alexandra said. We're talking about stopping the Deathly Regiment. If Anna's father and his friends in the Wizard's Congress can't do that, if my father can't do it... We ain't just talking about stopping the Deathly Regiment, Constance said. Though that's a fine thing for its own sake, Forbearance said. Seeing as how it's why we Hozarkers hain't regular citizens, like Miss Middle is always reminding us. What? David said. Of course, Alexandra said with dawning comprehension. Anna, remember when you told me that Chinese wizards in the Confederation assimilated and Japanese wizards didn't? That's why you're regular citizens and the Majokai aren't. It's how your family joined the elect. Until my father married a muggle, Anna said quietly. Your father told me his great-great-grandfather did something to bring the Chinese wizarding community into the Confederation, something he was ashamed of. Anna looked stricken. So, 
Ozarkers stay separate because of the Deathly Regiment? David said. They know about it? We ain't never heard of it before Alexandra told us, Constance said. And we're sure our Ma and Pa never heard of it, Forbearance said. Or our family'd be... Constance gave her a sharp look, and Forbearance closed her mouth. But it stands right, Constance said, picking up where her sister had left off. A long time ago, all our kinfolk retired to the hills and force war associated with outsiders, wizards, and moguls alike. We was always told it's because of foreigners' wicked ways. Well, they were right about some foreigners, David said. So someone knew about the Deathly Regiment, Alexandra said. Maybe they were given a chance, become part of the elect, get all the rights and privileges, and your children are eligible for sacrifice, Anna said with disgust. At least your ancestors said no. Weeds don't know that's how it was, Constance said, laying a hand on Anna's. But it would explain a lot, Alexandra said. Silence fell around the table. Then Constance said, It's terrible what we learned. Even knowing what our elders say about the Confederation, we can't hardly believe anyone could be so evil, Forbearance said. But we just can't fix it ourselves, Constance said. Then what's the point? Alexandra asked. Constance cocked her head. The point is saving your life. We're not letting you go to the lands beyond, Anna said. Damn straight, David said. When the Pritchards blushed, he said, Um, I mean, right. Alexandra smiled at her friends and spoke in a soft voice. It isn't up to you. So you're just giving up? Anna asked. No, of course not. Alexandra felt the concern in their love, and it was almost unbearable. But it's not just a chaos you have to break. I mean... She looked away. I gave my word on my honor as a witch. In the appalled silence, David was the first to speak. Alex, keeping a word is one thing, but I don't think anyone's going to think less of you if you break a promise to a bunch of twisted elves who tricked you in the first place. Alexandra didn't answer immediately. She did feel an obligation to keep her word, but when it came down to it, she wasn't sure if she could really walk through the veil just because she'd made a promise. But she felt it was more than that. I don't think things like this are ever that simple, she said. I didn't just promise. They made me swear with blood, but let's say there is no magical chaos on me and I could just walk away. You think the generous ones won't come looking for me, or... Someone else? Anna murmured. Huh? David said. Anna didn't look at Alexandra. They didn't actually say it had to be you, did they? They just said, a life for a life. Everyone became very quiet. Then Alexandra said, No, forget it. Don't even think it. That's not something we think about or talk about ever. Understand? Anna stammered. I, I, I didn't mean we should. Fine. End of subject. Alexandra looked around. No one could meet her gaze. She took a deep breath. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. David still can't even cast Muffliato. She ignored David's sour look. We're going to need access to more books, Anna said. Trust me, I've learned that getting the books you want can be a challenge around here, Alexandra said. You'll manage to with a little help from your friends, Anna said. My friends? Alexandra sat back. Oh, you mean Brown and Poe. Who's Bran and Poe? David asked. The library elves. They're Alexandra's friends, Anna said. We have library elves? 
David looked around as if expecting to see them lurking on the shelves. Alexandra rolled her eyes. How many years have you been in Aspew? Have you ever actually talked to the elves around here? David looked properly embarrassed. He'd been a zealous champion of the American Society for the Promotion of Elvish Welfare since sixth grade. The Charmbridge Academy chapter of Aspew had been lobbying the dean every year to abolish house elf servitude and replace elves completely with clockworks. Alexandra knew that Bran and Poe would be miserable anywhere but the Charmbridge Library. She had visited the two of them the weekend she had arrived, but after taking advantage of their friendship in previous years to gain access to books in the restricted preserves, she was loath to do so again, and she said so. I don't want to use them like that. They'd want to help if they knew the situation, Anna said. Maybe, but it's not like I can tell them. Why not? Alexandra stared at Anna. Tell them about what happened? If they're really your friends, they'll want to help. They're elves, Anna, said Constance. We Ozarkers don't have no truck with elves, because we always thought they was powerful and ought to be trafficked with and keeping them in bondage is wicked and also plumb foolish. Really? David had become very interested. You never told me that. You ain't never asked what I think, have you? Constance said. They're Charmbridge elves, Alexandra said. That means even if they're my friends, they have to obey Mrs. Minder and Dean Grimm. And that means they ends could be made to tell them anything they knows, Forbearance said. Anna swallowed and said, Maybe you should tell Dean Grimm. Everyone turned to Anna in astonishment. Tell Dean Grimm, Alexandra repeated, as if she wasn't sure she'd heard correctly. Alex, think, despite all the times you thought she was out to get you, she really wasn't, Anna said. Maybe if she knew the whole truth, you've got to be kidding. She is one of the powerfulest witches around, Constance said. They knows her name even in the Ozarks, Forbearance said. Are you forgetting that her sister is an agent of the Wizard Justice Department? She and her sister don't seem to get along, Anna pointed out. No way, Alexandra said. I am not telling Dean Grimm, and I'm not telling Brandon Poe either. Heck, why don't I just tell the whole school? Anna looked down. Okay, it was a stupid idea. No, it wasn't a stupid idea, but I'm afraid I've told too many people already. You only told us, Constance said. Yes, and I trust all of you, but now all of you have to keep the secret. So what are we supposed to study? David looked dubiously at the Pritchard's thick tomes. Mathliato, Alexandra said. Oh, great, David said, but now he was looking across the library. I didn't even know they could read. Constance at forbearance said, Oh, oh dear. Benjamin and Mordecai were coming through the stacks. We don't quiet them, Forbearance said, as the twins rose. Don't you jump up, David, Constance said. Gots to go, Forbearance said, and the two girls hurried away from the table to meet the rashes. Everyone heard angry whispers and saw the Pritchards bow their heads. I don't get it, David said. Why do they put up with them? Because the parents said they have to, Alexandra said. They're not even supposed to socialize with us at all, Anna said. They've been defying the rashes for a year now, which means they've been defying their parents. They watched the Ozarkers leave the library together. Benjamin Rash cast one last glance over his shoulder and fixed Alexander with an angry scowl, while he placed his hand on the small of Constance's back as they went out the double doors. End of Chapter 7 For the full text of this and other stories, as well as news and updates about Alexandra Quick, 
visit inverarity.livejournal.com. For more information about this podcast, visit samgabrielvo.com slash alexandraquick. I am also easy to find on the Alexandra Quick subreddit and Discord server, where you can hear me record episodes live. Troublesome, composed by Dr. James Benikoff. Charmbridge, composed and performed by Tyler Parsons. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes or whichever podcast service you prefer. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.